0: Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast. Great to have you with us. Calvary meets in the Jaffa Falston area north of Baltimore, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. If you're nearby on a Sunday, come join us. For all the details, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching.
1: Verse 1, Revelation 11. <clears throat> then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. This is John. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth. It consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some people, uh, peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at, and at that hour there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty who is and who was for you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nation's raged but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants the prophets and saints and those who fear your name both small and great for and for destroying the destroyers of the earth then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple and there were flashes of lightning rumblings peals of thunder an earthquake and heavy hail In verse 19, if we think back to the sea of glass in Revelation 4, the floor of God's throne room is a clear, watery firmament. And this heavy hail uh, exposing heaven and earth here in verse 19 seems to be pieces of that firmament falling off. The heavy hail possibly being pieces of God's floor being removed. Thus beginning the end of the separation between God and man. Because what do we see? The the ark is now being revealed. This brings to mind the seven days of creation. If you remember, all six days of creation work ended with, it was good, except for one, a Monday. (laughs) (laughs) The second day of creation. All the work was declared good except for the day the firmament between between heaven and earth was made. The reason God does not call that day good is because that firmament, that barrier between heaven and earth was never meant to be permanent. God's intention was always for heaven and earth to be connected. And that barrier was, was just that, a barrier between God and man. Well, here we are at the end of Revelation chapter 11. We're getting a glimpse into the end of the book, getting a glimpse into how this Revelation story is ending. We're getting the beginnings of that. And the walls between heaven and earth, between God's inner temple and earth, is starting to fall apart. It's being torn down. Now, this is our last study in Revelation 11. And this passage has been pregnant with so many other passages of Scripture. We've run through Zechariah. We've run through Isaiah, Ezekiel. But interesting, this chapter ends with a heavy emphasis on Psalm chapter 2. Now, that's interesting, but... This becomes even more interesting when you realize the opening part of Revelation 11 is drawing from Psalm chapter 1. So I want to do something a little bit different today. I want us to dive into Psalm 1 and 2, and then we're going to see how it connects to Revelation 11. And draw out some themes that I think will be beneficial for us. So I'd like to turn your attention now to Psalm chapter 1. And Psalm 1 and 2, just as you flip there, are, are so connected, and I'll show you how on tomorrow morning's online Bible study, um, that many actually believe them to be two parts to the same psalm. So today, especially as it relates to uh, Revelation 11, we're going to look at both. Um, so let's get into the Psalm and We got some preaching ahead of us, and I'm very excited about it. Blessed is the man. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And here we see the biblical pattern of three. Blessed is the man who does not walk, stand, or sit with the scoffer, with the ungodly. And there's a progression here. You'll notice when you start mingling with people you shouldn't be mingling with, first you're walking with them. (laughs) Next, you're standing with them, and then finally we find ourselves sitting with them, communing with them, being one with them, and then we end up talking or scoffing like them. The chief characteristics of the wicked man here in Psalm 1 is one who is given over to perverse, arrogant, scornful speech. But blessed is the man who does not give in to this. What verse 1 means is blessed is the man or woman of God who is in the world but not of the world. That's what verse 1 means. Now it's worth noting that Psalm 1 was not the first Psalm written. Did you know that? This is not the first Psalm written. The first Psalm written was Psalm 90 by Moses in 1400 B.C. The last Psalm written was Psalm 126 written around 400 to 450 B.C. So please understand the significance of this. God made the world in six days and on the seventh he rested. God spent a thousand years writing the book of Psalms. In fact, the book of Psalms is the book that Jesus quotes more than any other book in the whole Bible. And when the book of Psalms was arranged by a group of rabbinic scholars and They did it not chronologically, but exegetically. It took years for them to figure out where to put each psalm. But in both the Septuagint and the Masoretic and some of the other ancient sources we have, they always put Psalm 1 and 2 first. Always, in every rendering. And the reason why is because if you understand Psalm 1 and 2, in many ways you understand Psalm 1 through 150. (laughs) You understand all the psalms. They encapsulate all the psalms. But in many ways, as we see through the life of Jesus, if we understand Psalm 1 and 2, we also then understand much of the Bible. So, and so a, a book that God spent a thousand years crafting and years arranging through man, the very first thing God says in this thousand-year book is Ashir, blessed. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> blessed are the godly. Those who do not walk, stand, or or stand, walk, and sit with the ungodly. And then the first thing God wants us to know about a godly man and woman is that they are a holy people. Holy meaning separate. We are separated unto God. And we are separated from sin and to God. And that they are a people who, again, are in the world, but not of the world. So, verse 1 tells us, it introduces us the, 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 what the godly are separated from. And now, verse 2 is going to tell us what the godly are separated to. Because it's not only helpful to just be critical of everything, we also have to know what to build our lives upon. Psalm 2 But his delight is in the law of the Lord. The book that Jesus quotes the most, the first thing it tells us, verse 1, is who the godly are separated from. And now verse 2, what the godly are separated to? His word. God spent a thousand years writing this book to open it with, delight in the word of God. And you will be blessed if you give yourself to it. And then it says, and on his law, he meditates day and night. That word meditate is to mumble, to mer- to to chew. To, you, ever, you ever hear a loud eater? I'm a loud eater, just so we're clear. I, I'll eat, mm, mm, mm. It's, it's quite an experience. And... Um, <laughs> Dr. Frank goes, amen. Uh, we've shared a few meals together, all of them bad for our arteries, but we've, we've eaten plenty. <laughs> and, and that's what it means to chew on the word all day. Mm, bless is the righteous man who walks in the law. Mm, mm, oh, you know, Take not counsel the wicked. Mm, mm, mm. And, and, and what that means is to intentionally keep the scriptures in front of your mind present in all of your dealings. Verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all He does He prospers. We touched this two weeks ago. Those who have given themselves to the Word of God are like trees planted by streams of water. They are strong. They are nourished. They bear fruit. They prosper. And isn't this exactly what the two witnesses are described as? Godly men. Full of the word, described as trees, who stand opposed to the ungodly. Verse 4, but the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. If the godly are those who are given to the word, then the ungodly are those who are not. What the psalmist is telling us here is that the godly man gives himself to God's truth, but the wicked do not because they do not believe the truth. The wicked don't have the truth. They have Psalm 1, bad counsel. They have evil ways. They have seats for scoffing, but they do not have the truth. And because they do not have the truth, unlike the strong trees by many waters planted in the truth of God's word, the wicked are blown around like chaff like dead leaves, like old branches that have fallen off. And this is so true. This is more accurate than tomorrow's news articles. Here we are 3,000 years removed from the time of this writing. And has anyone else noticed that the ungodly in our country are constantly blown around from one cause to another? From one new outrage to another? From one identity to another. As we see here in Psalm 1 and 2, and God tells us this is what happens to a people who unroot themselves from the Word of God. They are constantly blown about with no roots, no stability, no footing, and worst of all, no gardener. The tree is planted, but the chaff is blown. And family, we are in a wind-blown culture. <laughs> Our governmental leaders want God's truth, his wisdom, his way out of all government. The economy's in decline. Satan's biting after our children. Families are unstable. Marriages are constantly tested. We're surrounded by so much filth and perversion every single day. But what the psalm just told us is that As everything around us is being blown around by the wind like a pile of leaves in in a windstorm, God's people can and will be fixed. One of my favorite authors, G.K. Chesterton, wrote a hundred odd years ago today that there would come a time, quote, where fires will be kindled to testify that two plus two makes four. Swords will be drawn to prove that leaves are green in summer. (laughs) Chesterton had his finger on the pulse of what was happening to the West even hundred years ago, that with the truth of God being abandoned, eventually, culturally, not only would there be no truth left in the town square, but also eventually, common and plain sense would inevitably also be abandoned. The psalm is, is not only presently applicable, it's also prophetic told us 3,000 years ago how this was going to end when we detached ourselves from the truth of God. Trees and chaff. Trees and dead leaves. Trees and dead branches. And the difference between the chaff and the tree is what happens beneath the soil. One has roots and is nourished and the other is dying and blowing about. Jesus said in John 15:1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, the gardener. Psalm 1 is, is, is what Jesus is drawing from in John fifteen five. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus is essentially saying that his words are the scriptures. Our Torah from Psalm 1. Can you imagine listening to Jesus talk and going, everything this guy says is scripture. <laughs> That's past the potatoes. Wow, you know, what? I, everything he said was the word of God because he was God. Incredible. But then he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The blessed life is being planted by God and continually drawing from his word. Psalm 15 it goes on to say, therefore, <laughs> I love that. I love every therefore in scripture. They always get me fired up because that means I get to go back and reread what I just read. Therefore, you ready? The godlier trees in the world and the wicked are sinful and like chaff and dead branches. therefore. The wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Uh, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There is either reward or judgment. Thinking of Revelation 11, isn't this exactly what the song of heaven declares? Those who fear the name who learned of, his, of God and his word and obeyed, they are the blessed, the rewarded in heaven from small to great. But the wicked perish. And Jesus, as Jesus said in John 15, the wicked will be trimmed because they are chaff and dead branches. And what happens to the dead branches in John 15? They're burned by fire. What? Are the, well, of course, that means the, the end judgment, but what do the two witnesses do? They blow fire out of their mouth. And in Revelation 11, of course, Israel is turning against the vine, against Jesus. And these two witnesses come from Jesus' presence, his authority. And they burn up the bad branches with the fire from their mouths. Uh, and then Psalm 2.1 says, coffee break. <laughs> 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 that's, my, that's my translation. That's my translation. It's in the Aramaic, don't worry about it. Um, No, that's a joke. (laughs) (coughs) Coffee starts today. Uh, Psalm 2, 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords. From us, that the nations, the peoples, the kings and rulers plot together and say in one accord, notice, let us, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Have you noticed the world doesn't agree on anything together? (laughs) The nations disagree on a thousand different points. We, can't, we, we fight over pipelines. I mean, the, we'll fight over everything possible. But Psalm 2 tells us, the unifying force of all nations, peoples, kings, and rulers is their hatred for God and his word. When we get to the story of the Antichrist in Revelation, we will see that the whole world has been divided since Cain and Abel. And for the first time in human history they will rally around the antichrist in one accord and take counsel and get together against the Lord and against his anointed first they will kill the two witnesses and next they will make war on Messiah verse 4 <clears throat> he who sits in heaven how does god feel about this he laughs It's like the story of the Tower of Babel. He has to squint to see it. You know, he comes down. Oh, isn't that cute little tower? You know, God laughs. He laughs. Partly, I think there is some maybe mockery here. People disagree with me on that, but I think there's a biblical case for that. Uh, But certainly, he laughs at the absurdity of man's defiance. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The nations do not fear God. We have to understand that. There are 195 countries in this world right now. None of them fear God. But God will teach them to fear. And ultimately, he will reward the godly, and he will also punish the wicked. Now, verses 7 through 12 have some immediate fulfillment in the life of David. But pretty quickly upon reading it, you you become aware there has to be a deeper meaning than David here. And and upon reading Acts 2.26 and the rest of the New Testament, it's pretty clear that this son has a greater fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, Psalm 1 and 2 applies to David, but has a greater fulfillment in the son of David, in Jesus. So verse 7. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall speak, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And here may be my favorite verse of Psalm two. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm two ends the way Psalm one began with blessings for those who plant themselves in God, who take refuge in him. That those who are trees planted by the waters, those who kiss the sun, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ unto salvation to take refuge in him, is their inheritance forever. The inheritance of belonging to God, as the inner sanctuary in Revelation 11 started to show, is to dwell with God forever without separation. We, the church, we will not be in heaven, a veil or a curtain removed away from God. We will not be outside of God's holy temple, wondering what it must be like to be closer. (laughs) Psalm 2 says we will take refuge in him. That word means to draw so close to him, it's almost to be in his shadow. The inheritance of God's people, of Christ's church, will be to spend an eternity with God without the veil, without the walls, without the separation. When Jesus died on the cross, what did the Father do? He rent that temple veil in two, from top to bottom, like he karate chopped it in half, (laughs) Revelation 21, 22 says of the church's eternity, and I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. In heaven, there's no walls between us and God anymore. We won't have to wonder what it must be like to be with him. We don't have to wonder what it must be like to be close with him. There are no more walls when we get up in glory. And then it says and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. We will refuge but notice not in God's shadow but in his glory all the days of our lives. And here we are at the end of Psalm 2 and Revelation 11 and heaven and earth are starting to meet. The walls are coming down between them and by the end of the book, God is going to drop a city from heaven to earth and he will dwell eternally with his people. This is the reward and the inheritance of God's children. This is our inheritance. No more walls. Psalm 23, we will dwell in the house in the presence of the Lord all the days of our lives. That means more than while we're on this earth. It means forever. Now that's today's passage. And I want to conclude with one thought. Can you believe I read three chapters and we have one thought? This is a miracle. <laughs> we had way more. But you can add so many things, sometimes you can lose when you, more you add. Um, Psalm 2 and Revelation 11 and very similarly as if the kingdom has already been established. As if Jesus is already reigning. And of course there's a future element to this, of course. And we have to understand, though Jesus is going to return and bodily rule and reign in the last days and All of these future things are going to happen. Like the the, the millennial kingdom is going to happen. The new Jerusalem is going to come from God down to earth on a kainos earth, a new earth. That's going to happen. The harpazo, the day of the Lord, these things are going to happen. And there are so many events that have yet to happen in the life of the church. But we also don't want to be ignorant of the fact That God's kingdom is also here with us now. In power. We can become so pessimistic that we put God only in the future. He's also here now. Think of the Great Commission. I I love the Great Commission and we all are likely familiar with it. The The problem is most people accept the back half and completely skipped the first half. Uh, This is Matthew 28, 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they had saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice what verse 19 starts with. therefore... But that's where we normally start at the Great Commission, isn't it? Well, many people don't talk much about the opening to the Great Commission, which is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The context of the Great Commission is that Jesus has begun to reign and already has all authority. Does it say he has some authority? It says he has all authority, but pas is what it is in Hebrew. It's all. Jesus has all authority. And again, there's some end times fulfillment here, but we don't want to make the critical error of putting the kingdom, the power, the lordship of Christ in some box that says one day written on it. We do that. No, Jesus already has all authority. And what does he tell us to do with his authority? Go. Go. Disciple the nations. Take them. Grab them. They're yours. In what? In power. In his power. Loved ones. Jesus is on the throne now. He will be in the future. But he's also on the throne now. He's the Lord of the heavens and the earth now. And we are his children who can walk in his authority now. It is a spiritual disaster to read the Bible and only see a God who will do great things one day. And many do that. But that is not how the Bible talks about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When when Stephen what did Stephen say when they rushed to kill him? Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of man standing at the right hand of God. when Stephen was shown heaven just before they threw stones on him to kill him J- Jesus was in the position of power ruling and reigning with his father. he saw Jesus as king and, the, and the, the unsaved were so furious they brutally killed him we need to grab hold of this Jesus is not waiting to become a king one day he is king He is the king. He is both Lord and Christ. And when we get on our knees and pray and we open our Bible to know him and we gather as his people, we cannot fall into the trap of thinking that one day this will all matter. One day, eventually, this will all accumulate to something. No. Our king has all authority now. And he gives it to us. And uses our prayers now to advance his kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is here now and we can and should move in that authority as his children. And you know what that means practically? We need to pray boldly. And Hebrews 4.16, approach him boldly. And you know what? Let's step on some toes and speak boldly. There is no such thing biblically as neutrality. The American church has bought the lie that culture is neutral. It is not. We have bought the lie that government is neutral. It is not. You are either in the assembly of the righteous Or the wicked. There is no middle ground. You are either living by the word of God or reject the word of God for evil counsel. And you know what? We have to speak boldly from God's truth. And people are gonna hate you for that. And you know who's gonna hate you for that? The ungodly, who are gonna hate you anyways. (laughs) We need to be bold. And speak boldly and declare boldly, and not because God will eventually do great things with this boldness one day, but because God is living and active and doing great things today. God is moving today. God's people are to be kind and gentle and peaceable and good listeners and peacemakers, but we're also called to be warriors. Right before Jesus left. If you read the Great Commission, uh, in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, which is its context, it sounds like a military order. Go and take the nations, says the king. We're to be warriors for Christ. And to be bold. What did Jesus tell us? To even storm the gates of hell itself. And what? It will not prevail against his church. Why? Because God's going to show up in 3,000 years and make it not prevail? No. A good king doesn't send his men to be slaughtered like David did to Uriah. Oh no. God is with his people now. And the gates of hell will not prevail now. We must believe in a God of who was and a God of who will be, but we also must believe of a God who is. Jeremiah 10.10 says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the Olam. I love that word. It means the everlasting, the forever, the enduring, the always king. God is the always king. And thinking of our Olam, the always king, God created the world in six days and on the seventh he rested. God created this book of Psalms in a thousand years. And so far God has spent 2,000 years building this church. And we're a part of that. And can't we look through the ages of church history and see truly horrific seasons But can't we also see God's faithfulness through generation to generation? From age into age? We can so rob ourselves of peace and mission and authority and strength and joy when we forget that we worship the living and the present reigning king of the church and the nations. God says in Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord and there is no other God And there is no other. Beside me there is no God. God doesn't say that he will be Lord. He says that he is. He is the Lord and the God above all others. And this king has a kingdom. 1 Corinthians 4.20. And it consists in power. So I want to encourage you today with one word. Boldness. (laughs) Because our God is alive. What do we say every Easter? He is risen. He is risen indeed. And as we connect Psalm 2 and 1 and Revelation 11, when when, when all the people around you are being blown about by the wind, you stand firm and rooted in God's truth. (sighs) And when all around you, uh, many are sitting, standing, and walking with the wicked, you remain rooted and separated to the living God. We cannot be blown around by every wind of new doctrine. <laughs> and when all others live in f- without fear of the Lord, may we come under his lordship and under his office of Abba, our dad, our father. And when the nations are transpiring against Christ and his commandments because the nations hate God, The peoples, the tribes, the kings hate God. And when they rebel and resist against God's word and God's authority and God's truth to the detriment of people, God isn't a God who will only exist as long as we believe him. (laughs) He doesn't need any of us. But when we turn against him, we hurt ourselves. And when the church shuts their mouth, we hurt others. People are heading towards heaven, and some are heading towards hell. How dare us not mean to offend those who are perishing? Shame on us. We must be bold. And when the nations are transpiring against Christ and his commandments, we must, it is our duty to defy their rebellion by remaining faithful to the true and living God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. (sighs) God, we we love you. We, We praise you. We thank you. We thank you that you are on the throne. We thank you that you are both Lord and Christ. We thank you that you are the God most high and that there is none beside you. We thank you that you are ruling and reigning, not only from eternity past and eternity future, but presently reigning. That as we fall on our knees and fall on our faces in prayer, that you are listening and you answer the prayers of your people. You help your people. You strengthen your people today because you have all authority today. There is nothing beyond your ability. You're not waiting to have this power. You have it now. And so, God, we ask that you may place in us a boldness, not only to declare your truth, but a boldness to say, you know what? (laughs) I need to be rooted in the truth. A boldness to seek your face boldly. God, we ask for a mighty outpouring of your Holy Spirit in this. You may burn away the the, the things in us that are evil and are part of the, the system of the evil one. God, we pray for those of us that have old evils that have been gnawing at our brains and our hearts, God, that you may purify us and remove them. God, we we want to be like you. And God, there are times when we don't <laughs> fix that in us. We do pray. God, may, make us a reflection of, of your people, of, of you on, on earth. God, let us let us be your kingdom who reflects its king. God, we pray that if anyone here needs prayer, that they may receive it by the double doors of on the side. God, help us to be ever aware of your consistent living presence amongst us. Send us out in this boldness, we do pray. And in Jesus' name, all who agreed said, amen. Let's stand in worship.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary, Baltimore. Please keep in touch. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. Finally, if you're unable to come see us in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word and join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast.